0: All right, and we're back. You people like each other way too much. It's just astonishing how much you guys want to visit with each other. Also puts a big smile on my face. Well, I think almost all of you probably know Jim Newsom because he is a frequent guest and has been a longtime friend of our congregation. Um when he was in pittsburgh and he is as he is now in kentucky and the various ministry he has a powerful testimony and he has a new book out which i um was given a copy yesterday by jim and i'm about 65 pages into it and it's good i encourage you to get it he has a table in the in the lobby with copies of the book and uh, copies of his newsletter and some other materials and i encourage you to take advantage of that um Everything is free, but donations are uh, gratefully accepted. Amen. We'll get some folks in here. Uh, let me, Jim, come on up. Let me pray for you, and uh, then I'll okay let you take it over. So, Father, thank you for uh, for our brother Jim. Thank you for his testimony. Thank you for the ways you have blessed him. For your hand on his life. Um, for all that you have led him through and to. Um, the deep meanings, the deep lessons that you have taught him over the years, and the things that you have given him to share. Pray that you would speak through him, that his message today would touch hearts and extend your kingdom and encourage and build up. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, one correction, I don't live in Kentucky. Oh. I live in Indiana. Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is right across the river from Kentucky. So you have Louisville, Ohio River, Indiana, and I'm right there. So I can be in downtown Louisville in eight minutes. I did live in Kentucky from 2003 to 2010 in Louisville. I discovered that, you know, Kentucky is where they uh, came up with the name with the toothbrush, because any place else other than Kentucky, they would have called it the teeth brush. Uh, But... (laughs) Sorry. That was a bad joke. And... (laughs) So... But if you go to eastern Kentucky, you'll know what I mean. And so... uh, (laughs) I do want to mention my table out there it, uh, I do have some newsletters I write an uh, article every month on some aspect of Christianity and there are several copies of it out there and if you'd like to be on my mailing list uh, just sign up either I can send it to your home address with a hard copy or a paper copy or I can send it to you electronically through email so that's out there Uh, Also on my table, my wife wrote a book before I did, so she became a published author before I did, and uh, it's a children's book, and uh, it's blowing up on Amazon, and uh, so it's all about forgiveness and sharing for children. So if you have small children uh, or grandchildren, please get a copy of it and read it to them. They'll really, really like it, and... uh, And I, about a month after she got published, I got published with my first book called Treasure Hidden in Darkness. It's all about my eight years in prison. I got saved one night, turned myself in, and then spent the next eight years of my life, almost all of my 20s, in prison. And this book is all about the great treasure I discovered in the midst of the darkest days of my life. So it's called Treasure Hidden in Darkness. And the books are free. Now, there is a box out there, and there's a sign saying "But contributions are appreciated. Now, you don't need to make a contribution to get the book. If you want a book, don't want to make a contribution, I'm good with that. But any contribution that you make will go to pay uh, for books from my publisher so that I can offer them to inmates for free and so that's what the contributions will go to i uh, i get a discounted price from my publisher to be to be able to give inmates uh books for free i gave charlie uh 30 books last night so that he can take it into the prison where he goes and so and i go into a lot of prisons and so uh Those contributions will pay for those books so that inmates can discover for themselves the treasure that's hidden in darkness. Amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke 6, verse 46. I know Larry is watching us on YouTube. He told me he was. And I told him, I I texted him, and I said, Man, I wish it was a two-way view, because I'd love watching you watching me. And then he texted me back, and he said, Brother, that's just creepy. And (laughs) so, so, I love your pastor. He's one of my best friends. He's a board member on my board that oversees my ministry. And uh, I prayed a lot for Larry and Ann, and I'm so grateful that God has, you know, when he got, came home, I texted him and said, free, free at last, and uh, and he appreciated that. Well, as you know, this church, along with a lot of churches throughout the country, are part of uh, of a movement starting back in the late 60s, really had its, heydays in the 70s and 80s, and still continue today. Uh, And it goes by a bunch of names, shepherding movement, discipleship movement. But we've been known as a group of network of churches for people uh, for bringing a new and a fresh word to the body of Christ. Not just in our churches, but throughout the nation and Episcopal, it crosses denominations. Words like baptism in the Holy Spirit. We were on the cutting edge in the late 60s and 70s and teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember I got saved in 1972 and in 1973 while I was in prison, and I didn't get much mail. I was completely alienated from everybody in my family. So no one wrote me. I wrote everybody, but they never wrote me back. And in prison, getting mail is the highlight of your day from somebody. Even to this day, I don't let anybody get the mail from my mailbox. Even though most of it is bills, and, you know, I still... There's just something about opening up that mailbox seeing mail in there with my name on it that still ministers to me today. And then I have to pay at the bills. But anyway, so I didn't get much mail. But in November of 1973, every day I'd go out to see if someone wrote me back. You can see my slot. And every day I was disappointed nobody wrote me. And one day in November I went out there, and there was this, magazine in there. I, to this day, I don't know who put me on the ma- uh, mailing list for New Wine magazine. But it was a magazine, and the top, New Wine was something where they had a theme every month, and all the teachers, Charles Simpson, Bob Mumford, Derek Prince, Don Basham, Ern Baxter, would all teach on that theme. And so I i was so excited. There was something in my mail slot, and I got it, and it was New Y Magazine. And the topic for that month was, Who is the Holy Spirit? This was 1973. And the first article was by Ern Baxter. And I'll never forget. It changed my life. He was talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and this is where I got my love for homiletics. He said the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, number one, conviction, number two, conversion, number three, construction, and number four, community. And he taught on it, and it changed my life. So uh, we've been known for not only baptism of the Holy Spirit, but discipleship, shepherding, binding the strong man, uh, just to name a few things that our movement, that you're part of, introduced to the body of Christ throughout the world. These words, they were new and fresh words. And usually these words came in the midst of our annual conference. Uh, CSM started a annual leadership conference in 1987 in Mobile. 1988, it was in Memphis, Tennessee. And then for years, it was in Atlanta, Georgia, and then uh, Gold Creek. And then with the last 17 years, it's been in um, uh, Gatlinburg. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. That's a good thing. So, but I remember in 1995, down in Atlanta, everybody was so excited. They just knew a new and fresh word was gonna come out of this conference. And so everybody was talking, what what's gonna be the new and fresh word? What what is God gonna to say to us through this conference that'll not only change our lives but change the United States, change the world? So it was just a buzz among everybody. And on the opening night, Brother Charles Simpson, who you're very familiar with, got up. He's the patriarch of our movement. And he got up and he says, I know, I know. Everybody wants to know what the new and fresh word is. He says, well, here it is. Start doing all the other words. (laughs) That's what he said. Start doing all the other words that we had heard in years prior to that. And Jesus said something similar in Luke 6, verse 46. He says, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says you call me Lord, but you're not doing what I tell you to do. And uh, <clears throat> you know, Psalm 103, verse seven has been, and I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. This this verse I discovered when I was in prison, and. It, it has not only changed my life then, but consistently changes my life to this day, and probably will until the day I die. It's Psalm 103, verse 7. It says, he, talking about God, made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. Now, when I read that, I was probably about a year old as a Christian, but something just changed me. What, what I really focused on was the fact that God would make known his acts to the sons of Israel. And I read in that, having already read Exodus and seen all of God's divine supernatural power, that uh, <clears throat> he would make known to me his acts, his supernatural power. And I need it a lot of his supernatural power, not only to survive in the most uh, violent prison in the state of Florida, but to be changed in the midst of it. And so I kept praying every day, Lord, show me your acts. You showed them to the, the sons of Israel, and I was even encouraged because I had read about the sons of Israel, and they weren't the best of people. You know, Moses talked to them about being stiff-necked, talked to them about not being very smart. They were they were rebellious, you know. And and so I thought, wow, I'm better than they are. So if God showed his acts to the sons of Israel, surely he'll show his acts to me. And so as I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, show me your acts, show me your acts, show me your acts. I didn't see any of his acts. In fact, my situation got worse, not better. And uh, <clears throat> I was Crying out to God in prayer, and God said, Well, reread we the scripture. And so I reread it, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I began to understand this concept. God made known his ways to Moses. Because Moses knew his ways, the children of Israel saw his acts. That the ways of God is what produces the acts of God. So then my focus went on trying to know his ways. So if I knew his ways, remember, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So if I know his ways, how he operates, what he wants to do, which is completely different from our natural way of thinking. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to be willing to go against your natural mind in order to enter into the supernatural work of God. So as I began to try to know his ways, his ways produces his acts. And over the years, I have seen his acts demonstrated so much, not only in my life, but through my life to other people, only because... I began to know his ways. So the ways of God produces the acts of God. Say that with me. The ways of God produces the acts of God. So here's my premise this morning. He says, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Lordship isn't a title that Jesus wants to be called. I mean, just get that in your mind. Uh, He is the Lord. I mean, there is a title, but that's not what he's after. Lordship isn't a title Jesus wants to be called, but a position he wants to hold in our lives. That is demonstrated by the obedience to what he says. So more than saying, Lord, Lord, when you obey what he says, your actions are saying, Lord, Lord. Lord. They are yelling it very, very clear. In Luke 2, 10 through 11, makes this statement. The angel of the Lord announces the birth of Jesus this way. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. It's very inclusive, all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We as Christians will join voices triumphantly as we declare, Jesus is my Savior. But our voices tend to, you know, trail away when we start saying, Jesus is my Lord. Because lordship implies obedience. Say that with me. Lordship implies Obedience. We need to be reminded that though Jesus was first Savior, then Lord, that he became Savior in order to become our Lord. In fact, it's his Lordship that continues on this side of glory to bring about our saving. What he says will save us. When we say Jesus, my Savior, that, that, uh, how do I want to say that? that. That allows us to be secure eternally on that side of glory. But it's his lordship on this side of glory that will save us in so many different situations. And I want to try to communicate that to you today. The purpose of the cross was that he might become lord of redeemed. Without lordship, that purpose is frustrated. If as ministers we preach salvation without presenting the lordship, we only preach half a gospel. He's not only savior, but he is lord. Worship isn't, and you guys here, and I love it, you guys have some of the best worship. I go to a lot of churches, and I'm not saying this. uh, I'm saying this because it's true. You guys have some of the best worship, meaning that you singing, you're playing, moves me. And not only moves me, it changes me. And uh, <clears throat> uh, you're very, very gifted. But worship isn't defined primarily by a slow song with edifying lyrics. Um, worship is expressed mainly by whom we obey. If you look at the first time the word worship appears in the Bible, you get a true understanding of the meaning. First time. It was used initially when God told Abraham to offer up the most important person in his life. And he didn't give him a reason why. He says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. He'd been waiting for Isaac for so long. He finally got him. And God says, I want you to kill him. And then give him a reason why. You know, one of the things I, I find out about the Lord is he's not real wordy. That's why I have some prof, problem with prophets. Some prophets. I mean, they'll, they'll spend five minutes saying a bunch of stuff to you. But if you look in the Bible, God doesn't say it. He's like, go. Stay. <laughs> Obey. Uh, he's not real wordy in what he says. You know, he's not trying to convince you you know going through scripture and everything like that so i believe in prophets don't don't but i've been prophetic myself but i've always found when god speaks through me it's very very short now my preaching is different i hope you brought up lunch today because <laughs> but cuz i can get wordy and uh <clears throat> He didn't give him a reason why after Abraham journeyed for three days with his son Isaac to the foot of Mount Moriah, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and we will worship. This is what he says. That's in Genesis 22, verse 5. He was not going up the mountain to sing a slow, melodic song to God. Abraham was going up in obedience to God to put his most prized possession to death. And he called that worship. First time the word worship appears in Scripture. His worship was defined by his obedience. Worshipping God has more to do with spending our lives than it does with singing with our lips. If you really want to worship God, obey what he says. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Doing what he says, and I'm going to talk to you this morning, and I'm going to try to be as brief as I could, but God doesn't reward obedience. Obedience is the reward. It's the key that unlocks his power, his provision, And his protection. So obedience in and of itself is a reward. It's like God says, I'm going to give you a key that will unlock my power. It will unlock my provision. And it will unlock my protection for your life. All right, well, what's the key? Do what I say. The moment you obey... The door to his power, his provision, and his protection is unlocked. So obedience, God has given us something a mechanism that we can get in on all that he has, all that he wants to do, and it's called obedience. Just doing what he says. <clears throat> obedience to, uh, I mean, Psalm... 40, verse 8. And I love this psalm. My mouth is getting a little dry. Give me a moment. Um, it, I, David says this. He says, I delight to do thy will, O Lord. And for a long time, I meditated on that. And here's what I discovered. And I hope you discovered his will. His will, when you're doing it, when you're obeying it, is the most delightful thing there is. There's nothing like it. David says, man, when I'm doing your will, man, it's the most, it fixes everything in my life. It's the most delightful thing that I can do is to do your will. So obedience to what he says is what releases the power of of what he says. Obedience to the word releases the power of the word. Say that with me. Obedience to the word releases the power of the word. In Joshua, and I've shared this in times past, so I'm just going to do it briefly. 6, 1 through 5, Joshua is seeking God to uh, figure out how to take the promised land. And the first city that it's in his path is Jericho. So he's seeking God, and God gives him a strategy, which at first glance is the dumbest strategy in the world. Stupid. It's not what a military Joshua was, a leader. He was a military person. He was skilled. He, he was thinking, all right, Lord, you're going to empower my sword, and we're going to do it. And he said, no, no, no. I'm God. It doesn't matter what I would use. What matters is if you're going to obey what I said. Here's how we're going to defeat Jericho. I want you to walk around it seven days. And on the seventh day, I want you to shout. Can you imagine Joshua sitting there? A walk and a shout, Lord? That's how we're going to do this? And please understand, God, it's God. it doesn't matter what he uses. What mattered was whether Joshua was going to obey. And he told Joshua, the other third thing he said, and don't, they have to walk around in silence. And the reason why is that they weren't silent. They would have been talking to one another, and they would have talked themselves right out of the walk. They would have said, this is stupid. Who has ever heard of a city being beaten by a walk? I've been in battle. I want to. I want to get. You know, I got my sword right here. And and so they they were told to to walk around in silence for seven days. And I'm sure they were being taunted. Now, put yourself. They're being taunted by the people in Jericho, looking at them, watching these people, stupid, walking around their city for seven days. They were probably thinking, saying "I to them, that's all you got? You got to walk? And if some, if they were able to say, they probably would have said, oh, no, wait till the last day. We got to shout, too. <laughs> so we got us a walk, and we got us a shout. And uh, seven days they shout, the, the walls came down. Here's what I want to tell you. The power wasn't in the walk. The power wasn't even in the shout. The power was in the obedience. That's what God, when you obey, it releases power. Then you go over into Judges. Seven, where Gideon defeats an army of 140,000 Philistines with 300 men. But it didn't start out like that. He gathers all his men together. He's got 32,000 men. And uh, so he's looking to the Lord. He says, all right, at this point, the odds are four to one. 140 against 30, 32. And so he seeks the Lord. He said, all I could gather is 32,000. What am I to do? And the Lord says, you have too many. <laughs> the Lord says, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, wait, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Do you see how many they have? And then the Lord says to him, he said, listen, I want you to tell anybody, tell your 32,000, if there's anybody afraid that they are released, they can go home. And immediately, 22,000 say, I'm scared. If I was one of those, I'd be, I'm looking at 140, I got 32, and he's giving me an out. He said, Newsom, all you got to do is say you're scared. Ooh, I'm scared. And then he's left with 10,000. Say, all right, Lord, I did what you said. I only got 10,000 now. Now the odds are 40 to 1. It was 4 to 1. Now it's 40 to 1. And then the Lord says to him, you still have too many. <laughs> that amazes me. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and march them in the heat of the day. And then I want you to release them to go to the pond or lake or whatever, the river that was there. Uh, Release them to get a drink. And anybody that just dives in and drinks and everything, uh, you release those. But the ones who crouch down because they know the enemy is near and are drinking like this, he says, you keep those guys. And out of those, only 300 of them (laughs) did that. Only 300. One of the things that story tells us is that God really can't use the fearful, and he really can't use the careless. If you're careless or fearful, you're not going to be able to obey the Lord the way he wants you to. And so he has 300, and he defeats them. Uh, The only weapons they have are a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. Again, understand, this is God. He was probably thinking, all right, how am I going to defeat these people? Well, I already did it with a walk and a shout. What am I going to use now? Oh, I know, a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. Yeah, a lot of people, I've heard people taught on this, the way they did it and everything. It's, no, I don't believe that. I believe they obey God. It released by now the odds are 400 to 1. And he defeats them. Why? The power wasn't in the pitcher or the torch or the trumpet. The power was in the obedience. The obedience released the power. In 1 Samuel 17, a 15-year-old boy, David, who has never been in battle, defeats a giant with a stone who's never been defeated in battle. Why? I mean, Saul tried to give him armor and a sword, and he said, "I can't move in this." And he went out and got him a stone, <laughs> five of them. But and defeated. where was the power? Was it in the stone? No, it was in the obedience. When you obey what God says, it releases power. To accomplish what he says. No matter how foolish it may sound to you, because his ways are different from our ways. As high as the heaven is from the earth, so are his ways different from our ways. All we need to do is obey. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had to do, had to obey what he heard the Father saying and what he saw the Father doing. In John 5, 19, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. So he had the ability to watch what God was doing and then do what he saw. And uh, in John 2, verse 7, Jesus told the people at the wedding to fill the jars with water. As a result of his obedience, I mean, just think of it, stupid. Hey, son, we don't have any more wine. All right, get the servants to fill it with water. But because of his obedience, power was released and the water was turned into wine. Where, where was the power? It was in his obedience. His obedience is what released the power to turn water into wine. In Mark seven thirty three, Jesus spit on his finger. I don't want to be gross. But, yeah, too late. Jesus spit on his finger, touched the tongue of a man who couldn't hear or talk, and then put his fingers in his ears, and he was healed. Now, grasp this. This guy's come up, and he's watching God, and and God is doing... So he's imitating what he's seeing the Father do in heaven. So he spits on his... Now, the key to this story is this guy couldn't talk or hear, but he definitely could see. (laughs) He's wanting healed. I'm sure Jesus, because he was all man, but he was all God, struggled a little bit with He said, really, Lord? This is how we're going to do this? Father, yeah, spit on your finger. And then that spit put it on his tongue. Now, only a desperate man (laughs) would put his tongue out with this spit on his finger. And then he gave him a wet willy. Now, now you guys, some of you are shaking your head or anything. It's in the Bible. And when he did, he was healed. Was the power in the spit? No, it was in the obedience. He saw what his father's doing, and he did it, and the guy was healed. Over in Mark 8, verse 33, this is even more. He came upon a blind man. He's watching the father, and the father tells him, spit on his eyes. some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy that's the same way you look at Jesus because the disciples are watching I are you going to do this and he goes oh, I'm going to spit on his eyes oh, hopefully it didn't hit anybody and, uh, but he spit on his eyes and he saw because God is trying to tell you it doesn't matter what he uses he can use spit he can use a wet finger he can use a torch. He can, it doesn't matter. Walk, a shout. It's God doing it. And all he wants from us is our obedience to do what he says. Does that make sense? So uh, doing what he says releases the power to accomplish what he says. That obedience releases power. Obedience to what he said is what releases the provision of what he says. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 is one of my favorite passages of scriptures. I learned this early on, and I'm telling you, this works in my life. Here's what it says. Now it shall be, if you will dil- diligently obey the Lord your God, diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands, remember, can't be careless can't be fearful you just do what he says at which i command you today the lord your god will set you high above all the nations of the earth and these blessings and it goes on in deuteronomy 28 tells you about all the blessings, going out coming in you know just read it for yourself but he said all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the lord your god So, obedience is what does that. So, here I am. I'm needing blessed. How many of you need blessed? Raise your hand. All right. I'm needing blessed. So, the Lord says, all right, if you want to be blessed, obey what you hear from me. So, I'm running after in obedience after God. The moment I begin to obey, all those blessings start running after me. Somewhere in the process... Those blessings run faster than my obedience runs. They come upon me. They overtake me. And I am blessed in every aspect of life. You don't look for the blessings. You look to be obedient. And the moment you start obeying, the blessings start running after you. And they overtake you that make sense? Okay. All right, back to our text in Luke 6, and we won't have time together. What was Jesus referring to when he says, and don't do what I say? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 6. I only want to start in verse 27. Now, what he said was in verse 27, twenty six when he said, "Why do you call me Lord Lord and don 't do what I say? so you have to look at what was he saying to them that he knew they were struggling with to obey so in verse twenty seven it says this, But I say to you who hear, and that 's important. the more you obey what you hear, the more you'll be be able to hear obedience heightens your ability to hear God. Disobedience is what Bob Mumford called uh, the thickening of the spiritual ears. Every time you, you don't obey, the voice gets lower and softer. The more you do obey, it becomes louder and more crystal clear. So he says... Uh, But I say to you, and then he lists 20 different things. I won't go into the text for time's sake. 20 different, over 20 different things that he wants us to do. And at the end of it, he says, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I just told you over 20 different things I want you to do. Because he says, I say unto you who hear." So the more you obey, the better you're able to hear. But for time's sake, I just want to go with two things from the this. The first one is found in Luke 6.38. It tells us that God uses... Here's what it says. Let me read it to you. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, that's the key phrase. By your standard of measure, how you give out will become the standard of how you receive. Completely opposite of the world. In the world, we use the measure of our receiving... To determine the measure of our giving if I get promoted and uh, <clears throat> I get a bump in, in pay I can give more that's the world's way God's way remember his ways are not our ways they're different if you <clears throat> if you know his ways and act on them then you'll see his acts His way is is that the measure of our giving will determine the measure of our receiving. So it's our giving that determines our receiving. And God establishes, when you meet him, he establishes the measure. He'll give you a measure that is so full, that is so free, that is so powerful. And then he wants you to use that measure when you start giving to others. He gives us the standard. And the standard is this. In Romans 8.32, it says this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will will he not also with him freely give us all things? So he says, "I I, I gave you Jesus. Your eternity is secured. But with that... I'm going to freely give you all things. That's the measure. So that's the, one I, when, that's the one I'm using on you, and I want you to use the one that's on you on other people. It also says over in Matthew ten eight, out of the Amplified uh, Bible, it says this, freely, without charge, you have received. Freely, without charge, give. Don't have any agenda in your giving. Don't have any conditions saying, all right, I'll give this to you, but if you mess up with it, I'm not going to give you it again. The moment you do that, the moment you modify the measure, because God didn't say that to you, how many of you know whatever we've gotten from God, none of us deserve it? There's no conditions. He freely gave it to us. But the moment, but because I'm dealing now with people, I modify the measure. I put some conditions on it. If you pay me back. You know, if uh, you do right by it. Uh, Whatever modifications, you can do that. Whatever modifications you put in your giving, learn to live with it because then God moves from the measure he gave you and now he takes this measure that you gave to other people and that's now your modified version is the one he's going to use on you. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured back to you. So it's important. I mean, everything I've gotten from God is for free. People are always asking me. I go to a lot of churches, a lot of events, conferences. <clears throat> and initially, A lot of people say, "Well, Jim, how much you charge?" I go, "Nothing," and they can't deal with that. You, if I could see them, I could see they're immediately squirming. You know, what do you mean, nothing? And I said, "Well, I don't charge anything." And they said, "Well, can we give you something?" I said, "Please." (laughs) It's not required. But it is appreciated. And I've even had people say, all right, when I told them that, I don't charge. They said, well, how much are you in the habit of giving? Getting is what they'll say from other churches. I said, I'm not going to tell you that. I will tell you this. Number one, if you don't give me anything, I'm fine. I don't work for you. I work for him. It's his job to provide for me, not you. God may use you or he may not use you, but it doesn't matter. I said, so if you don't give me anything, I'm fine. And if you invite me back, I'll come. And then they'll say, and, and then I say, and, and I'll add this to it. I promise you, number one, if you don't give me anything, it's good. But number two, I promise you, whatever you give, it will neither be too little nor will it be too much. I can't. I mean, whatever I have, I freely receive from God. Can you imagine one of them calling me? Well, how much you charge? I said, Well, you know, God charged me a thousand bucks for this message. I got to get at least fifteen hundred. Yeah, I got to make a profit. I mean, God charged me a thousand, but He says freely, without charge. You receive so freely, without charge, you give. You don't put any conditions on it. That's, you maintain his measure by using his measure where other people are concerned. So our, the measure of my giving determines the measure of my receiving. Proverbs 20, verse 10 says this, Differing weights and differing measures are an abomination to the Lord. Meaning that if the measure I'm wanting from God differs at all from the measure I give out to others, God says, that's an abomination to me. It's an abomination. You're wanting full, free, and but you put everything. I don't put any conditions on your receiving from me, but you put conditions on your giving to other people. Let me illustrate this with a personal story. I can tell a lot of stories. Uh, In 2003, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I was there for seven years. In 1998, I bought a Chrysler Chrysler. Uh, town and country van with all the bells and whistles. And if you know anything about me, I have a car out there now, and you'll see it looks brand new, but it's seven years old. I take care of my vehicles, I get them washed. I have unlimited wash at the. They see me almost four or five times a week. I, I'd imagine Summer's here comes the Honda again. It doesn't even look dirty, but he's going to wash it. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, we got the van to transport my children. I have, at that time, they would have been 12 and 10. But in 2005, they had their own vehicles. But we still had this van. It was all paid for and really looking. It looked brand new, leather, every all the bells and whistles. And I'm driving into church a New Life Church in Louisville, which is where Tim Parrish is the pastor. He's been down here and spoke to you on several occasions, or a couple occasions. So I'm driving into the church parking lot, and there's this family that uh, <clears throat> have a small car, and they have five kids and two adults. And so I'm looking at them all trying to get out of this small car. And I say to myself, I say, Lord, I said, no, I just say to myself, I don't say, Lord. I said, I said to Diane, I said, man, they have, they have more family than they have car. And because uh, they were struggling to get out of it. And the moment I said that, I heard the Lord say to me, yeah, and, and he says, and son, you have more car than you have family. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, it takes me three weeks to work through that word. I didn't immediately do anything. I'm trying to talk to God, talk God out of what he said to me is what I'm trying to do for three weeks. But after three weeks, I tell my wife what he said to me. And I said, I think we need to give this card to that family. And she said, all right, let's do it. My wife never struggles when God says something. I do, but she doesn't. Oh, let just do that. And it happened to be Mother's Day. So we got the car detailed. Uh, had the guy come over to the house. I drove down to wherever we needed to do the transfer of the title. Uh, I charged him 50 bucks Because if you don't do it, if you give a car away, you got to charge them something or they're going to tax them on the value of it. So he gave me $50 bill. I gave it back to him. But So I sold it for 50 bucks. He presented it to his wife on Mother's Day. But now I'm left with one car between me and Diane. Diane works at a hospital. I travel a lot. And so I'm struggling. You know, I'm thinking, you would think, if God told me to give me a car, he's going to get me another one. (laughs) Not so much. That was May. So, for the next five, six months, I have to rent a car, which doesn't make good fiscal sense, to travel wherever I'm going. And I'm doubting whether that God was really after me to give that car away or not. So, I go over to um, St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, to a church... It's not Michael Peters' church. It's another church. And they put me up with a family. Instead of putting me in a hotel, put me up with a family. The guy's name is Bruce. His wife's name is Suzanne. And uh, so I'm staying there for the weekend, Friday through Sunday morning. And he comes out on Saturday morning, and he said, wow, that's a nice car. If I'm going to rent a car, I'm going to rent a nice car. <laughs> All right. He said, man, that's a really nice car. I said, ah, it's a rental. And he said, why are you renting a car? And I didn't go into any detail. I just said, there's just, I only have one car between my wife and I. So uh, presently, we're just renting a car. Because I couldn't afford a, a new car at that time. So <clears throat> that would have been probably in October. Uh, that year of two thousand five, in December, this guy calls me up. He said, "Hey, listen, I've been thinking about your car situation." And I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." And he said, uh, uh, "If you what, if you could ever get any car you really wanted, what kind of car would you want?" And he said, "And don't bargain basement slim me." <laughs> so I said, "Well, you know, I've had my eye on." <laughs> It's one of my dream things. I've had my eye on, you know, a Acura TSX. And he says, "Well, do they have an Acura dealership there in Louisville?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, you go down there and you pick out a car. Have them call me." So I went down there and picked it out. This is the late December, so it was a 2006 model. And he paid for the whole thing on the spot. So I have this Acura 2006 for four years. In 2010, in December, he calls me up again. He said, man, how many, how, how many miles do you have on that car? At that time, I had about 150,000. He said, well, you need a new one. I said, I know, but this one's good. And he says, uh, does that Acura dealership still open? And I said, yeah. He said, well, go down and get you another one. I said, well, what do you want me to do with this one? He said, it's your card. Do whatever you want with it. So I gave it to my son as a graduation present from college. So I went down there, and I got it. 2010 TSX. Four years later, 2014, now I'm expecting the call (laughs) in December. (laughs) But no call comes. In 2016, I bought the card that it's out there right now. So I had to pay for it myself. But here's what I want to tell you is that the measure of your giving determines the measure of your receiving. And uh, Christianity works if you work it. Okay, I need to move on. My last point is this. Obedience to what he said releases the protection of what he says. Can I tell you, doing God's will can be dangerous? Just read 2 Corinthians 11, what all Paul had to do. Hearing the word of God will bring a storm into your life. If you're hearing it in such a way as that you want to obey it, Luke six, forty seven, forty nine, right after he says, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord and don't do what I said? He says this everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them or obeys them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a building. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the room that house was great. So, The commonality of these two, both them, the foolish and the wise, heard. They heard God speak to them. One acted. The moment they started obeying, they were building a foundation of a rock in their life that will help them weather the storm that comes as a result of you hearing the word of God. In Mark four, it talks about the parable of the sower. Here's what it says on the shallow ground. Here, it says this, and then Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower on the, and so he says, and in a similar way, there are ones who, whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Let me put it in a different way you can understand. How many of you know the wolf doesn't howl at the door where there is no bacon? soon as you put some bacon in there guess what the wolf comes howling and this church because I know your pastor he's one of my best friends and man you guys get some good bacon here <laughs> I can't tell you my wife is anytime I travel we know that in my traveling something's going to go wrong it just is but here's what I'll tell you. We still stand after everything goes wrong. We don't fall away. In fact, our roots grow deeper in the midst of the storm. I mean, in November, I was traveling a lot. And <laughs> can you imagine this? I'm on an interstate, and all four of my tires go flat. I ran over something that flattened all four of my tires. On an interstate. So I had to buy four new tires. <laughs> I mean, we, our HVAC system went out, and for six weeks, we didn't have any heat. We had to heat our house with a space heater. Then during the holidays, uh, we thought we had COVID, but we got the flu. So during Christmas and New Year's, we weren't with any family. Then 10 days after that, we got COVID from my grandson, who got it from his preschool. And so, but here's what I'm gonna tell you still standing. I'm kind of saying to the enemy, that's that's it? That's all you got? That's your best shot for flat tires? And somebody paid for this. I paid originally. I didn't tell anybody about it. But I got a check in the mail to me personally from somebody who says, God told me that you need this. And it was for $800. And guess how much my tires cost? $7.87. 787. So I made 13 bucks on the deal. <laughs> I did. I mean, just understand that when you hear the enemy is going to come. And what will keep you protected is if you obey what you hear. It's the ones that don't obey That's fall away, or something gets destroyed permanently. Obeying releases his protection. I'll tell you one last story and we'll close. So, the other saying I want to have in that Luke 6 is this one in 27 and 28. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, this is one of God's ways. But this is difficult. I'm going to tell you a story of how this worked out in my life. As most of you know, I spent eight years of my life in prison from 72 to 1980. in the most violent prison in the state of Florida, called Sumter Correctional Institution. <clears throat> God did a lot of things in those six years. If you want to read about them all, they're in my book. In fact, this story is in my book. So I, am, I have progressed. I have, God delivered me from fear, so I am fearless. I had inmates saying, nothing scares that white boy. And the only reason why is because God... Uh, how, uh, that's another story how... Because I was very fearful my first year. And I was very fearful of getting raped by other inmates. But now I'm five years into my sentence, and I am the clerk in the outside warehouse. So I have minimum, a minimum custody. I can come and go as I please. So I am the clerk. I run the whole outside warehouse. I have a, a guy who's over me, but I—he all he does is tell me what to do, and I do it. But, so I do everything. And when you go out there, you have to meet at the back gate. And at the back gate, there are between 50 or 80 inmates who have different jobs on the outside. Outside beautification, all that is is they go out into the swamps and try to make it look prettier <laughs> with a... a yeah, whatever it's called, and so, but there's one of the guys that worked in the warehouse. He's African American. He's six foot eight. His muscles have muscles, and uh, he took a, if I can say this, he took a sexual interest in me. Now I'm not afraid of him, and he, but he every time we go meet at the gate, he's telling everybody what he's going to do to me. I lied to everybody. It's embarrassing, but I'm not afraid of him. So he just, and I learned, that as long as someone talks, they're not going to do anything. It's when they stop talking, you have to be aware. So I knew as long as he just ran his mouth. So I just didn't react. But finally, after about three or four months of this, I got tired of it. So I'm not in my at my desk. He's the janitor. I am the uh, clerk, and I'm praying to God. Now, in between that, I started doing what this said. I started praying for him every day. I didn't know his real name. His nickname was Scatterhead, <laughs> which I'll uh, tell you something about him. And I'm doing kind things for him. not only praying for him every day. I decide to clean the warehouse for him once a week. Do good to those. Love your enemies. So I'm doing what the Bible says, but he, he interprets my kindness for weakness, so he just, it just eggs him to be even more bolder. He thinks I'm afraid of him. That's why I'm doing it, but I'm praying every day, and I'm doing kind things for him, and I'm respectful to where he's concerned, and just doing what this says to do. I mean, you know, that's hard to do. So this one day I go to my desk, and this is after about three months, and I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, I I don't know. I'm not afraid of him, but it's so irritating to me that every day I have to go through this. I said, Lord, I I I don't know how much longer I can take this. And I sense the Lord speak to me. He says, son, I want you to stand up to him. Now, I interpret that, which is a danger, to mean that God wanted me to fight him. And I had, I got excited. (laughs) I mean, he's 6'8". But I'm thinking, all I got to do is hit him once. And God's going to anoint my punch. I'm going to put him down. And, you know, I'm going to be the hero of the day. So... He comes into the office to say something to me, and I I, I say to him, I won't tell you everything I said because what I said wasn't right, but I say to him initially, I said, Scatterhead, if you ever say anything to me again, I'm going to do my best to take your head off. So he says something to me and back. I say something to him which causes him, Newsom, I'm going to catch you in the back of this warehouse one day, and I'm going to make you regret you ever said that feeling full of faith, like David. I said, well, you ain't got to catch me. Let's go back there right now. I can almost feel the anointing in my right hand. <laughs> so we go back there. All the other inmates, some white, some black, come back to make sure nobody jumps in. That's how inmates do. So, well, the first thing he said to me, which should have been included to in me, he said, all right, I'm in the kitchen. I said we can go back there. He said, "Wait a minute, I got to get my stomping boots on." So he took off his sneakers and put on his brogans that the institution gave to him. Should have been a clue to me, but I'm still thinking I'm going to slay this giant. So we go back and square off, and I realize I got to hit him first. You know, so I sucker punch him just as he's turning around to face me. Man, I just. Just knowing this giant's gonna fall, I'm gonna woo woo, you know, and uh, but all it did was hurt my hand. I mean, he went like this, and so then I hit him in the stomach, you know, and again, hurt my hand even more. His stomach was as hard as a rock, and then he jacked me up, threw me down, started stomping me, hitting me, and I remember. I mean, he kicked a, I had to have eight stitches for a gash that was in my arm. Broke two of my ribs. Blood eaten my whole face. I couldn't see out of one eye. The other I could very see very little. But he's hitting me, and I remember I was very, I, I, I was, it was very surreal. I mean, I, I wasn't feeling the hits anymore. I'm just looking, and, and like a, I was saying to myself, if he doesn't stop, he's going to kill me. And I remember, I, I know I didn't say it vocally because nobody heard it, but I, with, deep within I'm saying, help me, Jesus. And when I thought that, <clears throat> he stopped. And I very gingerly got up. Everyone's watching. So I told everybody, leave us alone. I mean, I, the anointing comes on me at this point. And I'm thinking, where were you about five minutes ago, you know? And, I mean, honestly. And all of a sudden, everybody leaves, and Scatterhead's looking at me, and he's huffing and puffing. It, where am I? Beat me up. That's one of the... If you're going to beat me up, it's, it's going to be a chore for you. But So he's just... And I said, sit down. And he sat down. And then I said to him, I said, listen, Scott, ever since I've been out of there, I've been trying to get you to respect who I am and what I believe. And the only thing you respect is what we just did. But I promise you, if we have to go through this every day, you're going to learn to respect me or you're going to have to kill me. Those are the only two choices. And whatever anointing was on those words broke him. He put his face in his hands and he started crying. And he said, Newsom, you didn't deserve this. And he's apologizing to me. Two days later, I lead him to the Lord. His real name is Carrie. He lives in Bradenton, Florida. I probably see him once every five years. He became one of my best friends. The other thing is how many know the Bible says God works for good in all things? So I have to go to the infirmary after this fight. And so I'm up in the infirmary, and they're stitching me up and putting a wrap around for my ribs and, and all of that. And so I leave to go down to my uh, dormitory where I live. <clears throat> and on my way down, the investigative team, they have an investigative team in prison. It's a lieutenant and a sergeant, and they investigate all crimes. One inmate upon another, an inmate upon a guard, a guard upon an inmate. Whatever the crime is, these two, Sergeant O'Neill and Lieutenant Norman, investigate this. Now, they were investigating something else, but they were on their way up to the infirmary to question me what had happened. But I meet them on the crosswalk. And Lieutenant Norman looks at me, and he said. Newsom, I knew him very well. He said, Newsom, what happened to you? I said, I fell. And he goes, you can't get injuries like that from falling. And I said, I know. But that's my story. I fell. And he says, you know, I can give you a DR, dismay report, and put you in the hole right now for lying to an officer. I said, I realize that. And if you feel like you need to do that, then you need to do it. I said, Uh, These guys here, you can put me in the hole, but these guys here can put me in the grave. I said, and I even said this. I said, grave, hole, I'm going with the hole every time. And he just kind of snickered. And then I said this to him, and this is what raised my prison cred. And I said, Lieutenant Norman, I really didn't lie to you. I promise you, somewhere in the process, I fell. (laughs) And my prison cred just skyrocketed. Because all the inmates were watching this discourse. Some were close enough to hear the conversation. And then through the prison grapevine. So I became more of a stand-up guy than I already was. But even though my body was injured, I was protected. And the end result was I was better off than what I was before. Because I obeyed what God said. Let's stand together so obedience releases the power to accomplish what he says obedience releases the provision that you need to do what he says and it releases the power of protection to keep you in the midst of your obedience amen let's pray father I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bless this church that you would allow, you would increase their ability to hear what you say. Not only through the written word, not only through the preaching of your word, but through your still small, small voice, Lord. That you will that they'll understand, Lord. That the standard of their giving determines the standard of their receiving. Lord, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Oh, by the way, if you want a book, it's free. You want to make a contribution, do it. But you don't have to make a contribution. Just get a book. All right? Amen.
2: All right, thanks. Well, as you know, the way we do things here is when we have someone who comes and Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, it comes and sews into us. We like to sew back into them. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put these up here. You can either put something up here or you can put it in his basket out there. Pick you up a book on the way if you like. Uh, I know that Brother Jim prepares before he comes to speak to us because he always comes unless he's just doing it for me. Uh, he always comes and, and tells us what we need to hear. He tells me what I need to hear. because it's the same message I've been hearing all week. And the message is something like, yeah, God, Jesus spoke in parables. And sometimes the truths that he told needed some explanation. But what does not need explanation are his commands. When he tells us what to do, it's just do it. And so now our challenge, of course, is to kind of look and see what it is that God is asking us to do. And if it seems kind of foolish in the eyes of the world, that's probably it. That's probably it. And now it's, our, again, our challenge to recognize that, act on it, and use that key that Jim was talking about. So, I'm
1: writing my uh, second book, and it's called Just Do It. Oh, I stole it from Nike. <laughs> they got a lot of money. I'm not sure they're not there. It's called "Just Do It." So, I'm two chapters away from finishing it. So,
2: well, thank you. And so, if we get a chance, if you get a chance, just drop something for Brother Jim. Thank him for sewing into us. Let us sew back into his ministry and his life. Thank you. Bless you.